Hello, I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week and every week by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones coming up on today's show. The Pandora Papers, what are they and why should we care? <laughs> Good question, I always think. Can a plant be racist? Well, according to TFL, they can and we'll speak to a historian about that. And we'll be joined in the studio in the flesh wow. by author Tim Bouvery, whose new book Perfect Pitch is out today. And why did Carrie Johnson make a speech at the Toy Party Conference? Why, indeed, we will ask our resident astrologer, Teresa Chung. And finally, have you come down with this super cold that's been going around, which I've had for about 7,000 years? Yes, probably. Anyway, beauty expert Hannah Betts is going to be talking to us to tell us how to look good when you feel absolutely dreadful. But first, Iceland, mm. not the country, mm. the supermarket. Mm. Apparently, people have been panic buying Christmas food. Oh, God. Frozen turkey sales are up 400%. 400? I know. It's October. Gosh. Please. Apparently, everyone's worried about Christmas right. not happening because of the shortages. Right. But, I mean, I'm just fine with some cheese and biscuits. Yes. Uh, I, I, this, it's the fetishization yes. of Christmas. It's one day. Yes. It's, it's one, one day. day. And who cares if no. you can't have a turkey no. or a pig in a blanket no. or a date? Actually, my son would care if he didn't have a pig in a blanket. <laughs> that's all. He, he is a little pig in a blanket. <laughs> he, that's all he dreams of <laughs> is pigs in blankets. <laughs> I like angels on horseback. Oh, there's the ones with um, dates. Date. Mm. Ah, mm. interesting. Those are the ones I like, dates. But I don't understand. I can't understand why everyone is just panic buying all the time. No. It's sort of become the national sport. Yes, and there's a I know. What are you going to do this afternoon? I don't know. I've got nothing. Should we go and do some panic buying? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's go and panic buy right, cotton buds. <laughs> what is that about? I don't know. Why are people so worried about... They're all panicking about toys and... It's not the end of the world. I would love it if everyone just suddenly thought, sod it, let's not do Christmas yeah, this year. Let's, absolutely. Let's do Easter instead. Yes. <laughs> let's just have some chocolate eggs. <laughs> Be done yeah, with it. Do you, yeah, that's a good idea because no one's panic buying them. No. We could get ahead of that game. <laughs> we could. We could. <laughs> we could go out and buy some, you know, we could stockpile. St we could stockpile cream eggs for a start. Oh, God, they're disgusting. They are disgusting. Absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, but I, it, I think it would be quite witty to suddenly say, do you know what, I'm not doing Christmas this year. Yeah. I've had enough. Yeah. Also, the stuff they try and sell is revolting. It's revolting. All their sort of, I mean, you know, what is this sort of chocolate bomb thing that we're supposed to be at? I, I mean, it's no idea. very the, weird. They keep inventing new Christmas traditions that mm. don't exist. No. I'm, I'm more cross about Halloween, actually, because I went to Gales the other day mm. and they had some fingers... Ugh. which were like zombie fingers right. and they were obviously made out of marzipan and they had a sort of almond for a nail and I actually felt sick. <laughs> can plants be racist? According to a guide produced by Transport for London, they can. The guide highlights particularly wisteria as having colonial roots and also claims that botanical terms such as native and invasive are offensive. Dr Zahir Masani is a historian and author who believes this is just another example of a historical obsession with colonialism, and he joins me now. Dr Masani, hi, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, wisteria racist, what do you say to that? Well, I think the whole thing is now really quite absurd, and it's a kind of reductio ad absurdum of this mm. whole uh, decolonisation movement. On the specific point of plants, you know, where do we draw the line? Because... Uh, plants and seeds have traveled across the world for millennia. Mm. Uh, I mean, to give you an illustration, potatoes, chilies, and tomatoes are not native to India. No. They were in, imported via Europe from Latin America. Yeah. So all these things travel, 
I don't see how anything is being stolen from anyone else. It's not a zero-sum game. No, exactly. So, I mean, and the idea that 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 if you if you've got wisdom growing up at the front of your house, you're in some way sort of culturally appropriate. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know. Isn't it sounds it? very odd. The idea that some some rather pretty purple blooms mm. make you uh, an inherently racist. I don't really why, understand. Why do you think this is happening? Do you think that they're just running out of ideas? <laughs> it reminds me a bit of the. Uh, 17th century witch finders oh. who were looking for something to persecute, you know, the Puritan witch finders. Mm. And this is a, a rather puritanical movement that is kind of, you know, wedded to a notion of political correctness. They're looking for every aspect they can attack, whether it's clothes, language, uh, cuisine, uh, anything becomes cultural appropriation in the, mm. in their sort of eyes. And it is completely absurd because it uh, reduces history to just a one-way traffic, which it never was. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, wisteria, I've had wisteria uh, at the side of my house for 40 years and thoroughly enjoyed it. It never entered my mind that it was in any way racist. So what should we do if we've got, his, if we've got wisteria outside our house? Nothing, is what you're saying. Just ignore it all. Oh, you? absolutely nothing. I think we need to laugh at these things. Mm. And I think we, people need to remind people of their such thing as a sense of humour. Mm. And if you go too far and become extreme, you need to be able to laugh at yourself. Mm. And I think this whole thing of rewriting history is ridiculous because the whole point of history is that it is what it is. You don't, yes. you know, you take it warts and all and you learn from it. You can't yeah. sort of try and pretend that it didn't happen. So when you're mm. taking down a statue, there's, that doesn't really serve a purpose because no. actually, you know, you're taking away the information and sometimes it's better to... Keep to, the information you, out you, there. You, yeah. want to, you want to look at it with a sort of you know, unfettered eye and yeah. say, well, you know, we, that was how we did things then. That's not mm. how we do things now. It doesn't mean to say that we need to remove this object. In fact, it's a very useful mm. reminder mm. in some ways. Mm. And it, it does... Again, you have parallels in the 17th century, mm. which I keep returning to, because I, I'm re really reminded of the iconoclasm mm. of, um, you know, Puritans who went around destroying um, church statues, yes, stained glass, yes. ornaments... And now we regret having lost all these things. Of course, yeah. Uh, the monasteries being demolished. Yes. So it's, it's the same kind of nihilism. Mm, mm. Yes, no good comes of it. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Masani. It's very lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you, Sarah. You've probably heard this week about the Pandora Papers, a leak of the private banking documents of some of the world's richest people. But what do they tell us about the way the super-rich handle their money and why should we care? I found this story quite difficult, Imogen, because there's an awful lot of detail in it. And I'm not very good on detail, as you know, because mm. I've got a tiny little brain with doesn't do numbers. <laughs> but I did, th well, uh, you know, it, it does it involve... It does involve the Blairs, who mm. managed to avoid paying quite a lot of stamp duty. Stamp duty, and a lot uh, of Russians. Anyway, so we got an expert, because I'm not an expert, and mm. so we need an expert. So we've got Robert Palmers, who is CEO of Tax Justice UK. Robert, hello. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Can you explain to us what is going on? Because we've had the Panama Papers, we've had the... There's another one beginning with P, isn't there? Something Paradise like, oh, Papers. The Paradise papers, the papers. The Panama. Is it compulsory for these things to begin with a P? <laughs> I think yeah, I'm slightly worried that they're going to run out of alliterative things <laughs> to, to, to rhyme with papers. Um, I have to say, when I've been talking about it, I keep mixing up different ones. But, um, <laughs> but, but to... To make this really simple, this is about rich and powerful people having access to ways in which they can pay less tax mm -hmm. or 
hide their identity or hide their assets. I thought that so wasn't possible anymore, though. I thought that had all been eliminated. I think all, I thought all those loopholes had gone. So, you know, I've been working in this area for, you know, 10, 15 years, mm. and we have definitely seen change. And you can see that in some of the, the sort of emails and correspondence that have been leaked over the last week, where people are like, oh, these new rules mean that we need to shift or we need to do something slightly different. Mm. So we have definitely seen some progress really since the financial crisis, mm. uh, but, and there is usually a but when it comes to this, it is still too easy if you are rich and powerful mm. to find ways of paying less tax, uh, escaping uh, scrutiny, um, hiding your assets. You know, I think the, the, the one of the other stories was the, the current Czech prime minister who's facing election had uh, millions of pounds of, of, of property investments that people didn't realize he had. So, mm. you know, it, it, it's about... Basically, it comes to one rule, one set of rules for most people. You know, mm. most of us have to pay our taxes. Most of us can't choose to pay less tax. Mm. But a different set of rules for some rich and powerful people. And I think that's why this matters. But the rich and powerful have always done this for hundreds of years. And um, why are we supposed to be shocked by this? I just, I don't, I just think this happens all the time. I, I, you know, why are we not shocked? But I mean, it's sort of. It's happened forever and a day. Why is this yeah, one different? I, mean, I think what is interesting is with the with all of these leaks is is the grubby detail. Mm. It's the sort of peeking up of the curtain and seeing how this actually happens in practice. Mm. So you know, on the one hand, we should be shocked that the rich and powerful can still do this. On another hand, yes, as you say, this has been happening for uh, you know decades, if not hundreds of years, and. Mm. Um, I mean, I would say as a campaigner, and maybe this is partly my job, is we have seen change. We have seen the behavior of the rich and powerful change in response to action taken by politicians. Mm. And so I think it's really important to go beyond this sense of, and I sometimes feel this, of like hopelessness. Oh, well, this is always going to be the case. Mm. This is somehow the natural order of things. Mm. Whereas what I've seen over the last 10 years is we have been able to do things, you know, this government, previous governments have brought in measures that have made things mm. better we still have a lot further to but go. you see the thing is none of these things i mean i was struck by something that the blair's representative said which is that they weren't even aware that this had happened <laughs> i mean i was kind of just by that i was like okay someone saved you three hundred fifty thousand, and you didn't notice. didn't notice it reminded <laughs> me of that story about some sort of ridiculous banker who'd been swindled out of millions of pounds and mm. he hadn't even noticed because he had so much money in his bank account sloshing around that, sloshing around <laughs> that the fact that his secretary or someone had sort of taken out a hundred thousand dollars hadn't hadn't even registered mm. it was like literally like my children doing a 299 delivery yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i think i think i think that also points to another another story here which is uh, you know when we think about tax we think about choices mm. and there are political choices about who we tax and how we tax them. Mm. Um, and we've just had a government that has uh, promised to increase taxes on all workers, including mm. some people on pretty low pay. Yeah. And yeah. yet at the same time, you have some pretty rich and wealthy people yeah. who are able to get away with paying lower yeah. taxes. And I, I think that is why not shocking why people get angry about these types of and none of this stuff none of this stuff that they're doing is actually illegal is it that's the other thing i think people need to realize is that they're not actually breaking the law i think there's a mixture of stuff in here so there's there's some there's some things which uh, and i don't know whether the journalists have gone as far as saying they're corruption but look very much like corruption Mm. you know lots of money 
from Russia and mm. uh, former communist countries mm. uh, sloshing around. And so this is the kind of that end of the spectrum. And then there's stuff that is legitimate, but frankly smells a bit fishy. Mm. And I think it comes back to this idea of one rule for them and mm. a different rule for the rest of us, mm. which, which, which really infuriates people. Who's um, the worst offender? Do you have a wall of shame in your office? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I think something that might surprise uh, you and some of your listeners is actually if you want to hide your money, mm. uh, uh, one of the best places to do it is the United States. Oh. Uh, South Dakota, um, right. not a place that many people have thought about very much. Is no. A- Sarah's taking notes I'm now. writing that down. She's taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> South Dakota, you say? Haven, is a huge haven for secrecy. Uh, and if wow. you're not an American, yes. you're not an American... Uh, stashing your money in the US is a pretty good bet of, wow. of being able to hide it. So, so there's, there's how do you do it? Do you just put it in a bank? Do I just go to South Dakota and open a bank account mm. and then put the well, money in it? Open, do I have to buy a know, ranch? Wearing a beret yeah. and dark glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'd look very fashionable doing that. No, I think you don't even have to go to these places. You can set up a, a trust or you can ah, set up a company okay. and you can use these structures to hide your money yeah. from the tax authorities. Well, thank you very much for explaining that to us. That was um, very informative. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. That was Robert Palmer's CEO of Tax Justice UK. He knows everything about the tax. Yes, I can't. But do you think he's read every single one of the eleven point nine million files? Well, I'm glad that he has, because then we don't have to. Yeah, that's true. Like everyone else, Tim Bouvery found the announcement of a third national lockdown last winter disheartening. But then he had an idea because he is Tim Bouvery. He has lots of ideas. For every day that lockdown lasted, he sent a small group of friends a link to a piece of much-loved classical music, along with a few sentences of context or personal insight. People loved it and asked for friends and family to be added to his email list. Soon short books approached him and asked him to write a book of introductions to 100 classical masterpieces. Perfect pictures, the result, and is published today, available in all good bookstores, and Tim is here Sadly, not available in all good bookstores, but available in our <laughs> podcast more. <laughs> Tim, hello. Hi, Sarah. Thanks very much for having me. It's very exciting. I know nothing about classical music. Actually, that's not true. I did used to know a lot about classical music. And when I was, I remember being, I grew up in Italy, I went to school in Italy. And I remember one day when I was about 12, uh, the teacher came in and asked the class to put their hands up. We had to do two hands. Who preferred classical music and who preferred pop music? Mm. I was the only child to put up my hand to say classical music because at the time uh, my father was trying to make me into a violinist, which basically involved hitting me a lot. And <laughs> that <threatening>, really worked. <laughs> and threatening to hand me from the ceiling by my fingers. Since I think that may have changed. But Tim, you also love classical music. I did. And I was also one of the people who put their hand up in class and was <laughs> teased mercilessly by it throughout school and then it became sort of cool not to be cool um, but probably only once you reach the your mid-twenties yeah. but my, my parents played and it was all I grew up with and this what, what did they play? They played the piano and they played in those days CDs there was or the radio there was classical music being played yeah. the whole time yeah. okay. um, and I actually don't think, and this is slightly undermining my book, but I don't think you actually have to know anything about classical music to like it. You just have no, to no, no. listen to it. And that's what this is in some ways. It's 
I think people think there's so much. Yeah. And so often people have said to me, oh, I really like this because they know one thing from a film or they know yeah. one thing from an advertisement or they've heard one thing. And say, but I never know what else. I mean, Mozart's written 650 yeah. pieces of music. Bach's written thousands. And not every bit of Bach is a masterpiece. And so this is sort of wit- trying to whistle it down. <laughs> well, well, so what's so interesting about this book, I think, is that it does it does for classical music what... So for pop music, it's all about the three-minute single. And I think what's daunting about classical music is that most concertos are about sort of, you know, two hours long or whatever. You know, they go on and on and on. And there's there's a bit that you like. There's like a, the equivalent of an aria. But what you've done is sort of broken it down into sort of digestible chunks. So I, the sort of greatest hits. Yeah. Is it the greatest hits of uh, classical music? It's, it's, it's not It's not the greatest entirely. So many of them are the greatest. But I didn't want to be just so predictable that mm. it was yeah. the four seasons, the, yeah. the this, the yeah. that. Oh, I the, don't know. That's uh, quite nice. Uh, but, it, I mean, <laughs> the, those can, can probably be found online. I mean, a part of it is trying to find a way into it and demystifying yeah. it. A huge problem with music books before was, say, well, sonatas into sentences is difficult, and, well, what does this really mean? Mm. At the back of the book is a QR code which takes you to a Spotify playlist of recommended recordings. Oh, oh there we that's go. Perfect. So you can listen <laughs> as you go. And I spent a lot of time, and one of the oh, things I was obsessed about was working out what I thought was the greatest recording of so of Rigoletto having listened to pretty much everything okay, out that's there. That's brilliant, yes. So, so even if you actually do know quite a bit about classical music but wanted to find down your sort of building a library, yeah. what is the one mm. recording, what is the best Beethoven's life, in mm. my opinion, obviously mm. it's very subjective out there, mm. this can tell you. Wow. Well, I don't know. I think your opinion is fine. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I can't think of anyone else's opinion at the time, certainly not Imogen's. Well, so which one was your favourite then of all of them? Good that, question. That is an a almost... A good question, yes, well done. <laughs> it's an almost impossible thing. I can tell you that my favourite composer is Mozart. Mm. I, I made I made a joke at my book launch, which I then was embarrassed that this got picked up by the Evening Standard Diarist because I thought there, there were interesting people at my book launch which diarists would have got stories from, not my speech. I, that I cringed to remember the time when I was a schoolboy and I told friends that I didn't think that I would ever meet a woman who I would love more than Mozart. <laughs> And then I joked afterwards, half seriously, and I am still struggling with this problem. (laughs) And that was the only thing the diarist picked up. They didn't want to talk to any of the far more famous people at the launch. Um, So I, and uh, yeah. You're in love with the dead... I'm in love with a dead Austrian. Yes. Uh, and and he, he, you know, he has kept me company for many have more years than, 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 it, than any woman has. And who's you, and what, in your opinion, you know, what is the best piece by, you know, that Mozart dude? And also, which is the version? Because I struggle okay. with versions too. Okay, so, so I used to spend, again, being an unusual teenager, I spent a lot of time. You're quite an unusual adult, I must be honest. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I mean, <laughs> It hasn't stopped the teenage years. But I was a particularly unusual teenager in that I spent a lot of time wondering internally, luckily, whether or not The Marriage of Figaro or Don Giovanni was Mozart's greatest opera. Because it it could be, it's like Hamlet or King Lear, War and Peace or Anna Karenina, Mm. two massive masterpieces. Eminem or Jay-Z. Exactly, Mm. exactly. (laughs) Two masterpieces by the same artist, which ones you go. And then I recently thought that actually the magic flute may surpass them all. I think it is the ultimate distillation of Mozart's genius. An artist who could trace the line and explore the boundary between the sacred and the profane, the profound and the serious, the sublime and the ridiculous. This is serious opera, but it's also a pantomime. Mm -hmm. It's about the Enlightenment, but it's also got slapstick. Mm -hmm. It's grand and yet it's inherently silly. And this is what what Mozart did. He, He understood all of the weaknesses and the foibles of the human condition, but also spoke to a level of ourselves which 
only art can take us to. And mm. I think he was the ultimate artist for that. So I, I would say the, the Magic Flute and the recording I chose was conducted by the late Sir Neville Mariner and it had uh, Kirita Kanawa uh, singing it and Olaf Barr and, and others. I think it's an absolutely wonderful recording. Tim, do you want to date my daughter? Please, could you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how oh to mine. respond to that oh extraordinary. Oh Sarah, your daughter is definitely too young to be. <laughs> I, I, um, I, Tim, that was that so that would be beguiling. That was I a know. wonderful thing to listen it's to. It's very, yeah, it yes, was. I, yes, I think we should uh, offer Tim up to take somebody out on a date to the opera. I mean, can you yeah. imagine sitting next to him at the opera? I, mean, be I, I think I have sat next to have the you? opera, haven't I? Uh, you, Are you I, lucky have, thing? I have sat next to Sarah at the opera. So. Um, not on a date, he's, I he's generally, No, not on a date. He's far too young for me, sadly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, well, Tim, that was brilliant. Please, everyone, go and buy the book. Well, I think and we can panic by that for Christmas. We can panic by that for Christmas. <laughs> exactly. We were talking about panic no, quite by seriously, the Quite seriously, the, the HGV uh, problem has been affecting... That is true, actually. ...the yeah. distribution books, yes. of, of Tim, short I, the books. Thing is, I, mm. The thing about you, Tim, is I have you down as a man of many talents, but possibly HGV driving is not no. one of them. <laughs> well, if, if, if this book doesn't get into the shops and it doesn't sell any copies, it may be my only option to put bread on the table. I certainly won't be going to the opera again. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. You're listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. Now, back with another beauty fix. We have the divine Hannah Betts and... This week, she's going to talk to us about the thing that we've all been having, which is that awful cold that goes on forever and almost never stops and makes you feel absolutely dreadful and awful. And it's not COVID, but it's COVID. And is it COVID and all of that stuff? Hannah, hello. How are you? It's bubonic. That's it is horrendous. <laughs> I know. I think I started it about two months ago. And it's just, it's just been going, it keeps coming back. How does Imogen's, it manifest? Imogen's giving me a face. See, Imogen's never ill. And I that is because she Ill. only drinks vodka and smokes <laughs> 50,000 cigarettes a day. And as a result, all the bugs look at Imogen and they go, nah. No, that's no point. Just I'm, I'm partially embalmed, I think is what it is. <laughs> well, that, I mean, God, I want that. Because yeah. um, I, you know, I don't even drink now. And you'd think you'd get something in, re- no. in return. No. no, you get but nothing. No, no, no you're just nothing. a fertile breeding ground for germs. Yes, they just oh. go, oh, look, lovely, healthy person. Mm. Let's just invade. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, we, so we have all... Be- and, and there are some mornings when I wake up and I actually just... I just... I look at myself and I think, there's just, there's just nothing to be done here. So tell no, us, how on, can, how can the, the listeners... How can you make yourself look... Decent. Rescue cold yes. face. Rescue, rescue, <laughs> Well, yes. I would say at first, don't even try. There's a point where you just take everything off, go to bed. Mm. Uh, the only thing I do at the first very lethal stage is every time I blow my nose, I put oil on my nose to stop oh. myself getting one of those red mouth mm. nose, mm. you know, where you kind of wear it away through mm. nose blowing. So then I use the Trilogy oil. I think you used to love that, didn't oh. you? Are you still a fan? Yeah, I love that. Is it the rose Aromatic oil? Aromatic certified rosehip. Yeah. I think you put me on to rose that. Rosehip oil. I started um, I using rosehip oil when I was literally about 16, and I've used it well, all sure my life. Well, I'm sure it's got such fantastic skin. It's brilliant. I mean, I, I wrote um, a couple of weeks ago that I've got a friend who every time she gets the most minor bug, mm. buys a pot of creme de la mer, and mm. I get it. It's fantastic, but I don't really want a pot of festering cold germs, 
you know, it's, it's like no. having a very posh Petri dish for yes. your germs. <laughs> so I would rather have a bottle of Trilogy and do that at yeah. that point. My, my daughter keeps making me, swears by um, castor oil. She puts yes. that everywhere, which I find quite difficult. to Castor oil. Yeah, it's very, very thick. Bad. It's very, very thick. But I have to say that the one thing that I get when I get really bad cold, I always get really achy joints because I'm obviously 700 years old. Mm. I shove Volterol on them and that works a treat. Oh, I yeah. see. What Volterol is. Volterol gel. You're too young for that sort of thing. Yeah. Volterol gel is very good. But um, I find that when I get really ill, my face just becomes sort of clogged i quite like i have one of those jade rollers oh you you're always jading i love a jade roller (laughs) and i sort of do that and it's sort of nice because it wakes you up and makes you feel less clogged maybe it's because it does a bit of drainage I don't do the jade rollers. I do a frozen cryo rollerball. Yeah, that's I think I've talked about before, which is very good if you're feeling feverish as well because mm. it mm. cools everything down. Mm. But then, I mean, there are then things you can do. I think there's a, there's a second phase, which is when you're sort of the walking wounded. And you have but to go when out. you need to reintegrate back into society, yeah. which, again, is, is hell on earth. Yeah. And I, um, I have to say, more face oil... And then, have you ever tried this sizzly cream called um, Ecological Compound? No, but I love sizzly. Mm. It's sort of magic. And Is I haven't it? written about it yet because it's very expensive. And I it need is to about really £7,000 a bottle. <laughs> well, it's, it's, sort of, it's very hard to explain what it does. It just makes the world a better place. So in the summer, you can use it if you're too sweaty and you look a bit sort of... I mean, a lot of women use it in Hong Kong and sort of climates where you've got a constant film of sweat over your face. But then strangely, a lot of people use it on winter eczema and on cold faces. And it, it just, it's, it's magically able to I've got cure this thing, anything. I've got this thing called, which is from Becca, and it's called mm. Light Shifter. Oh. And it's, it's like a tinted moisturiser. Light and Shifter, it, and it's and like it, something out of Star Wars. It, it is, and it, but it, it's, it's like a, it makes you go all dewy. Which, which when you're my age and there's not a lot of dew. Oh, I want a bit of it's that. It's really good. Honestly, I can't recommend I it do, enough. But do you know what? Yeah. I put some stuff on my face the other day that was supposed to make me look dewy and I basically looked like I was having a massive hot flush. <laughs> I, I literally was like some sort of sweaty old snooker ball as I walked around this party and nobody spoke to me. And every time I walked up, I'm smiling. And then afterwards I came home and I realised I had this great big red sort of shiny face. And it, I... I've tried some special dewy thing. <laughs> I know it's awful. quite old school. I know it's quite old school, but a bit of um, dear old Clarence beauty flash balm is not a bad thing, mm. I always say. That's good. I like uh, Guerlain's Midlife Secret for that, but I yeah. don't put it on the night before when yeah. you're meant to. I put it on just before I need to look yeah. awake. Yeah. yeah. Now, I have one more tip, though, for those who are in the throes of the cold. Mm. A very nice lady who runs... A, a, she's lovely. She's silk-obsessed who runs a company called This Is Silk, Oh yes. sent me a silk hot water bottle Ooh. and a silk beanie. Mm. Now, a silk beanie sounds like the ultimate thing you don't really need. For your head. But actually, it is utterly life-changing. If you've got a warm head, it's a bit like having warm feet. <laughs> you feel loved. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, I was feeling like hell last night. Uh, working and I put it on and everything was better and of course being silk it doesn't a, a normal woolly hat would ruin mm. your hair and give you hat hair and static mm. and you'd look like a maniac mm. afterwards a silk lined beanie makes your hair look lovely like a princess 
Um, um, Hannah, I think you need you think, to go... When I you think, see me next, I will be yeah, wearing a silk yes, beanie I think, wherever I go now. That's my new thing. Are you sure you're not still running a bit of a fever? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I've done so many COVID tests as well. I really want someone I to had tell that. me it's been COVID. I had that. I had that. I did I did hundreds of COVID oh, yes, tests. Yes, you did, yeah. And then I lost my sense of smell and taste completely. I thought, this has got to be COVID. Mm. And I did more yeah. COVID tests. It wasn't it's, COVID. It's just a normal cold. But No, but the thing is, when you have a normal cold and you blow your nose, you're so sense of smell and taste comes I back momentarily. I feel, sick. I feel sick. Sorry. But literally, when <laughs> you clear your sinuses, it does come back. But with this thing, there was just nothing. Literally nothing. I love that Imogen stopped us talking about snot. Yes. I can't bear snot. It makes me feel really ill. Honestly. You're not pro-snot. <laughs> oh, please don't. I am going to go and put my hat back on. <laughs> it's reflex. Send silk hats. Send us silk hats. Yes. All right. Thanks, Hannah. Bye, darling. My pleasure. I really do have a pathological. It's I have reflex. a problem. I have a problem with sick. Oh, please so, don't. so I can do snot, but I can't do sick. Oh, I literally can't even say the word. Especially dog vomit. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry. Sorry. Finally, the bit that you've all been waiting for Teresa Chung. Hi, Teresa. Hello, Sarah. This week we're going to talk about Carrie Johnson because yeah, she's sort of been around a lot and she did her speech at conference, mm. which apparently was super. Yes. And, you know, she's kind of been a big, big figure at the, at the Tory party conference. I mean, more so than yes. most I... prime minister's wives. Mm. So what's her chart like? What have, what do you, what have you looked well, at? Well, she's an accelerator rather than an initiator. Mm. I mean, Boris is the initiator, but she, however, adds fuel to him. Oh, that's so that's how I kind of see her. And I find that an interesting combination because she's Pisces, he's Gemini. So when you put water and air together, you get steam. Mm. Which... <laughs> or hot air. <laughs> oh, hot air. I'm being I know, Sorry. I know. My concern with them is that they are both very scattered, erratic, high-octane, chaotic people. That's what has drawn them together. Right. There's a kind of attraction there. Yeah. But it can be very, very strong one minute but it, they, could, they could easily just part like that. Oh. So quite fighting, that, that, quite fighting, you think? Quite sort yes, of argumentative. Yes. Well, after yes. the drum, like sofa gate, if you remember. Yeah, when there he, was that oh red... Gosh, yes. Do you remember when he spilled red wine all over the mm. sofa and they had mm. a massive yes. row? Yeah. I, I imagine there, there's quite a lot of argument going on there. At the moment, there won't be because they're starting... At, you know, he's almost going back to, like, I'm a, I'm a young family, a man again. It's about making him feel virile, mm. feel very young. I get the sense that Boris, well, it's obvious, he's very, very sexual, needs a lot of affection, a lot of attention. He's got a younger woman to supply that and a mm. younger woman who shares his ideals. So at the moment, it's all in that bubble. But, you know, having two kids under the age of five is tough for any mm. relationship, mm. especially when you're prime minister. And, mm. and let's see if this continues. I do... I'm concerned in, with Boris. He's got a roving eye. And will Carrie be able to deal with that as the way his second wife did? Do you think they just need to have a very, very sensible nanny in brown <laughs> shoes and, and ugly they tights? They do. They need to give each other space as yeah. well. And I wonder if Carrie, though, I think she could be, she's quite floaty and whatever, and I, maybe she is enjoying being around him all the time. But I think he's going to need space. Mm. Yeah. And it's whether she's going to allow that to happen. But, you, but you've, you've been to that Downing Street flat. It's quite difficult to have two little children in that flat, mm. don't you think? Yeah, no, it is. It is quite difficult. Yeah. It's a bit of yeah. a fishbowl as well, which mm. is tricky. Um, just getting the pram in and yes, out. Yes, <laughs> it's just very boring. I mean, the thing with children is that I think they're quite grounding. Mm. 
And if you're, as you say, if yeah. you're both, if you're both sort of quite airy, fairy, it's quite difficult because they well, do pull you down well, into the practical practicalities of life, don't they? I mean, you can't. I mean, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of room for your own self self development mm. or, or expression when you have little kids. I don't think. No, I mean, there's certainly chemistry there between them, mm. but you know, um, Boris is going to be the more rational, in, intellectual mm. at the moment, and she's more romantic and emotional. Mm. As I say, but I do worry that their, their unpredictable, scattered approach to mm. life, it can work. When it's good, it's good. But it, they can easily just switch off from each other overnight. So what do you almost. think? So do you think that's why? So why do you think she's decided to take such a sort of, I mean... Is she ambitious? I mean, is that, Well, such a visible role, because she has actually taken quite a visible role, I know. Role, I mean, she was she? all over conference. I, did, I found that quite interesting. She's an actress. She's mm. an act. She she's someone who maybe in another life should have been on the stage. She she enjoys mm. the performance aspect of it, right? The show, but she's also very passionate about the environment and animals. Mm. That is her thing. And maybe she will go off on her own, do it or women's group or something like mm. that, mm. where she's pioneering that way. She does have her own ambitions, mm. uh, but she's now you know she's got she's ticked the box. She wants the children and the marriage but mm. will Boris be the one to stick around long term and what will happen when he's no longer PM that is to be continued well okay well hopefully that I mean you know good luck to them is what I say good luck oh, to yeah, them oh yeah 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 um, and I hope she though, if you compare with Trump as well third wife similar yeah. age gap yeah, and they're both Gemini's, Trump and and Boris. It's an, an interesting. That's a terrifying analogy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I'm looking at the, the the age gap. I mean, it is a big age gap. What he's fifty, fifty eight, fifty seven. Boris, I'm not sure what age he is. She's thirty three, and you look mm. at Melania and and Donald. Um, Similar. You know, and third marriage. Mm. I mean, how many children has Boris got now? Six. I, I'm, I'm not sure. He's got six, what? and I think this is the seventh. Isn't is it, it the seventh? That's amazing. I mean, yeah, and starting all that again when you're prime minister. Talk about having an action-packed life. Yes, no, he definitely has a lot of lead in his pencil, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, I feel <laughs> sick again now, Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> Teresa, goodbye. <laughs> I've upset Imogen now. I have to go and provide, you know, defibrillation <laughs> yes. services. Lovely to talk to you, Teresa. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Lead in his pencil. Oh, don't. I don't want to think of Boris's pencil. <laughs> I really don't. I think don't. it's more of a crayon, actually. Oh, God, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know what You've made me really me. unwell twice today. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm go sorry. And have, I might have a touch of the vapours. <laughs> if you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcast videos opinion pieces and more if you would like to get in touch tweet us at mail plus or me at westminster wag you have been listening to the female half hour with me sarah vine and imogen Lucas jones thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>